He's the man in the back of the room. Y con la voz de Dios. He's told U.S. presidents where to sit, CEOs where to go, and stars when to shine. But as he likes to point out, Who cares? I care. It's true, she cares. And so does he. He's entertainment and production agency owner and meeting and event master, Anthony Bellotta. She's his Agent 99, and you're about to be Bellottified. Hi, friends, and welcome to another episode of Bolotified, the one, the only podcast about events, entertainment, and engagement. I'm Anthony Bolotta, and I'm here as I am every week with the delicious, always <laughs> optimistic Alexia Tristina Postalirista Opa. <laughs> Opa. I'm not really sure. Hey, Alex. Hi, everyone. <laughs> so, what's on your mind, kiddo? Well, I am glad you asked. I mean, as you know, and as I often brag, right? Greeks invented parties and rituals. Absolutely. So this, right? Absolutely, Absolutely. true. This Nobody morning. Can... What? Go ahead. What? Nobody can deny <laughs> that the Greeks invented rituals and parties. <laughs> and superstition. Right? <laughs> um, and as such, I woke up this morning thinking, Gante simiu tu stavrukati vradi. You want to know what that means? Mm-hmm. It I was means the same thing. Right? <laughs> Where you woke up thinking that too? Do right the out sign. Who's gonna say the same thing every morning? Do the sign of the cross every night, and there is a reason for this. Oh, why? It well, it wards off all kinds of evil, anything from bad weather to a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> so um, it, it's kind of a funny so it's story. Like a panacea. It's like it's cure all. Yes. It is. It very much is. It really is. Um, It's basically you don't do this. Jesus won't protect you. Right. So it it wards off all kinds of of evil, as I said. And at my um, Theo Constantine's rehearsal dinner, you know, the yayas were given out advice as yayas are wont to do. And that's what they said. Do the sign of the cross every night, but Jesus won't protect you. But Constantine didn't listen. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-uh. At the next day, at his wedding, actors dressed as vampires showed up, obviously, at the wrong venue. However, Greeks being as superstitious as we are, this caused panic. And all the guests went running, tipping over the uh, cake, destroying the champagne tower, sending centerpieces flying. The bride is hysterical. It was a mess. I mean, the wedding was pretty much going to be over, but, 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 little four foot ten Yaya Mepomeni came to the rescue once again. She got everybody calmed down. She fed the vampires some galatopurico, which is really delicious Greek dessert. Pretty soon, the guests and the vampires were dancing the sortaki, and everybody was drinking ouzo. So there you go. Was all good. She made it better. Made it better. Yaya always makes it better. Yaya causes the panic with the superstition, but Yaya always makes it better. And she made something. She made a dish. Is that what you're saying? The galatopurico is a Greek dessert. So can you say that again? Galatopurico. Okay. Or as my friend calls it, galactic 
oh, I forgot what he called it. He made it one Christmas for my house. Galactic something he called it, but it's really good. Very, very Okay, good. if you say so, grandma. <laughs> yaya. Yaya. I'll, I'll never be a grandma. I will only be a yaya. Only, 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 only. <laughs> so, so what's on your mind today? Well, I'm glad you asked. Is it what I'm thinking? Yep. So this is a simple one, but it's important. Uh, And we tend to forget this rule. It's my standing rule, I'll call it, because we tend to forget this rule when we're doing cocktail receptions. That's mainly when I see it uh, being forgotten. And that the standing rule is this. Please do not expect guests to stand for more than 15 minutes if you intend to give a presentation at say a reception or a cocktail hour because more than that is just really really to be honest with you rude people do not like to stand and listen it's uncomfortable it's it's wearying on the body it it sucks energy out of the body so my rule stands and it is the standing rule that no one should make a guest stand for more than 15 minutes to listen to anything or anyone an outstanding rule thank you <laughs> i'm sorry just made, the devil made me do it what can i no, do? no 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 this is the time okay before we get started if you're a new listener please take this time to like and subscribe ahead we'll give you a sec why thank you our wonderful guest today is a five-time emmy nominee and three-time emmy winner receiving that award while working as editor and producer for nbc nightly news and the today show he was nominated so jealous he was nominated for a tony as well as a drama desk award for the show on the town He's worked as producer, technical director, coordinator, consultant, and sound designer for countless shows on Broadway, off-Broadway, the West End, the West End, excuse me, and has worked as the associate producer for the New York Emmy Awards and stage manager for the National Emmy Awards and the International Film and Television Festival Awards. He currently serves on the board of directors for, and I'm going to hope I'm going to say this right, Amos. Amos. Amas Musical Theater and Theater Resources Unlimited. Please welcome President of NSR Productions, Inc., the very kind and extremely talented and my new friend, Mr. Neil Rubenstein. And one who obviously couldn't hold down a job with all those titles. I know. That's exactly what I was thinking. He's all over the place. I didn't know when you were going to stop. I was going to, I was going to cut right in. I said, this guy can't hold down a job, can he? <laughs> <laughs> you are a man, master of all trades. That's what you are. That I am. So, I Neil, am. thank you for being with us today. Uh, we like to start off the show with um, a, little, a little icebreaker, if you don't mind. Uh, something that we call 10 Quick Questions. 10 Quick Questions? Yay! Are you ready? No, but go ahead anyway. Okay. <laughs> I've got the I've got the timer counting down on you too, okay. so you gotta be quick. Alice oh, got there's... the timer. 
Oh, Timer uh -oh. go. We got two, no two minutes on the clock. No pressure. Two minutes on the clock. Question number one. Neil Rubenstein, do you believe in miracles? To a degree, yes. What do you love most about what you do? Oh, what do I love about the most? When a show is getting ready, you're working on it for a long time, and then you start watching the uh, set be put together on the stage, and you see it all come together in the theater. It's, a, it's an amazing type of feeling to watch what you've done all of a sudden come alive. When was the last time you tried something new? I feel like every day I'm doing something new, tied into something old. I, I don't know, I'm new. Um, I, I, I would say I'm in a rut, but I do do, <laughs> I do, I do a lot of different things. It, it's whatever the day brings me. I, I kind of roll with the punches as it were. Okay. Uh, what's the first word that comes to mind when you think about you? Oh, God. <laughs> After what you just said, I want to say boring, but uh, Never. Uh, nah, no, uh, the first thing that comes to mind, ambitious. Great. Okay, pick one. Award show or beauty pageant? Award show. Did you say award show? Yes, I did. Award show. What is the because most in the, in the in the award show they have the beauty the beauty pageant queens that hand out the awards. So there you go. My oh, cake I see. It. Kill two birds <laughs> one stone. <laughs> what is what is the most memorable live concert show or festival you've ever experienced? Memorable. Oh boy. Can we come back to that one? I, I don't even have an answer for that. I'm afraid not, uh, but it's okay. We can move on. What do you think about while you're driving? You probably don't drive. I do. You know, okay. I'm, I live in Long Island and without okay. the car, you're lost. So um, what do we think about? The idiot in front of me who's going five miles an hour in the left lane. <laughs> get out, get into the slow lane. Little things like this, you know, the usual stuff <laughs> without having road rage. Okay. That's good. Uh, that's a good one. I like that. If Mickey Mouse weren't famous, would you still have him over for dinner to your home? Say that again. If Mickey Mouse was more famous? Wasn't famous. Wasn't famous. Would you, would you have him over to your home for dinner? I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, have you ever he, done... He couldn't eat because he's only got three fingers. How does he hold the food? I guess that's his problem. Uh, well, it could be my problem. If I'm having him over for dinner... He's going to make a mess. Who's going to clean it up? From the mind, from the mind of Neil. From the mind of Neil. We'll be right back. Have you ever done drag? Have I ever done drag? I have been known to dress for Halloween. Uh, I won an award from, from head to toe, nails, the underwear, the heels, everything. And uh, matter of fact, my wife and I, we went into this one restaurant and took me into the, the ladies' room, and the women didn't even give a second glance to me. Oh. I was gorgeous. What can I tell you? What can I tell you? <laughs> uh, what award did you win? Oh, it, for the, the Halloween. I had a friend who used to do the Halloween parties every year up in Connecticut, and he would go all out. The house was totally done. He would have, he would have uh, contests. He would have, uh, he'd have uh, teams. And, of course, they would also have the... The best costume. Six years running, I won. It got to be too much. I couldn't do it anymore. The pressure was there because everyone was gunning after me. It became, what are we going to do to beat Neil? 
And every year he'd come up with a different theme and I'd sit there and go, oh my God, what am I going to do this year? My best one was one I came up with in about, uh, about a day before the party. I, I had like three weeks and I couldn't think of what to do. But uh, yeah, we have, I was Clarabelle the Clown for iconic, uh, for an iconic figure. Um, and they loved that one because I didn't speak for the whole time. I had two horns, if you remember Clarabelle, but I, I had little cards that I had made up for answering things and said, you should stay like this. <laughs> the funniest one was I was dressed as a pirate. I had a beard. Uh, after we had the, well, during the party, they had, they had dinner and they had like pasta. I wish there was a camera on me. I couldn't eat it. The beard was getting in the way of the food. I, it, it was hysterical. I could not, it, I, I finally had to take the beard off because I couldn't eat. Yeah. You, you had to be there. there. You, had you to be couldn't there. get it in your mouth. You couldn't no. get it past the beard. Exactly. The beard was in the way. <laughs> <laughs> so last question then. What's the one thing you wish you could stop doing? I could stop doing. Wow. Uh, well, I wouldn't mind retiring. Um, at the same time, I don't want to stop. I, that, that's a, that's, that's, that's a non-answer. It's, yeah. it's an interesting question. What would <laughs> I want to we... stop? What would I want to do? This? What would I have to stop doing? Real, right off the top of your head. Oh my God. No bad uh, habits. Nothing that like, you know, you don't take a bite of something and think, oh, no, I need this. No, I, I've been watching my weight. I'm on, I don't know if you can say it, I'm on that one program that, that uh, Marie Osmond always talks about. Uh huh. By the way, I had a thing for her. Yes, oh, I had a thing for her for years and I still do. She's but delicious. That's yes. Uh, but, uh, hey. Uh, In a good way. That's my word. No, I don't know. Oh. I, I well, really. tasty then. I'll come back to it later. You know, I know you, <laughs> you say we won't, but if it, if it hits me, I'll throw we'll it in the back. middle of a sentence. Okay. Yes, we will come back. So, um, Neil. Tell us a little, a little bit about what you're doing right now. What's your okay. latest venture? Uh, as, as, as Alex mentioned, I am a producer. Mm -hmm. uh, I am the lead producer on a show called Dangerous. Dangerous is a, uh, a send-up of the old Warner Brothers gangster movies. It's a whodunit with not one but two twists at the end. And, of course, when I say whodunit, everyone goes, oh, I love whodunits. Uh, nothing like this has been on Broadway in over 30 years because they're very hard. it's a very hard uh, genre to do live. Uh, the last time it was done, in case people were wondering, was City of Angels in 1989. So you do the math. City and, of Angels? Yeah. Was, oh, yeah, it was a whodunit, wasn't it? But yes, it, was, it was. Okay, yeah. It was a mystery. It was the, it was the it last was a time, mystery. a serious right. mystery. Because there have been mysteries on Broadway, but they're, they're more tongue-in-cheek. This is a serious mystery where... People will be sitting in the audience and they're 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 elbowing their neighbors. Who do you think it is? I think it's this one. I think it's that one. Uh, we did a reading a few years ago and during intermission, it was it was hysterical to hear the people discussing it. That's that's what I loved about it. That's what made me uh, that, that's what attracted me to it was the fact that it stood out from everything else that's that was being produced because there's no mysteries on Broadway. Matter of fact, the tagline right now is Broadway's new mystery. The music's okay. delightful. I was listening uh, to it. Thank you. That now, that's interesting in itself. The guy who wrote he wrote the book in the music, John Intricasso. He's what I call an up and coming writer, a playwright. He's only seventy five, and uh, yeah, he, still young. He, he, yeah, he's still young, but 
what's interesting is the music that he wrote. He comes from the Irving Berlin School of Composition. For those of you who don't know Irving Berlin, he wrote over a thousand songs that are today considered the American songbook. God Bless America is one, uh, Easter Bonnet. He did everything. And the man never, never learned to read or write music. And John is the same way. He does not read or write, but he plays one hell of a piano and he wrote all the music. That, but what he does is he just, he just plays it, records it, and somebody else transcribes it. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. He, He's incredible. He's incredible that way. Wow. And that's what so, sold me. I, I, I listened to the music. It was great. And, uh, and ironically enough, uh, I was telling Stephen Schwartz a few years ago uh, about what we were doing. And I gave him that, that pitch of, the, you know, it's a whodunit. The moment, I, the, word, the moment I said the words whodunit, his eyes just widened. I love whodunits. And all I could think about was I wish the music sucked because I could ask him. He would have done, done the music. <laughs> but I, the music was too good. So. But, so Neil, um, so you yeah. mentioned City of Angels, which uh, was about a private eye, right? And was really, uh, yeah. it. there was very little audience engagement or interaction in that show at all. Is there any in Dangerous? The only interaction is trying to figure out what the, who, who, the, who the person is, who, who's doing the killing. You're watching a lot of murders happening uh, on the stage, but you don't know who's doing them. Uh, it's a very, it has a film noir type feel to it. As a matter of fact, one of the things that we were doing, and I knew this from day one when I read the script, it reads like a movie. It reads like a film noir movie. And what we're trying to do as we're going forward here now, trying to put it on Broadway, or actually, well, there are other things going on at the moment, but uh, also uh, looking to make a movie of it. I've been attempting to get in touch with the likes of Martin Scorsese, uh, or someone of his ilk, and uh, at the very least, he can recommend somebody. But that's what we're looking to do in that end of it too. So it's going to be a—it definitely will be a movie and a and a musical, stage musical. I think you mentioned to me that your plan is to uh, start out of town and then hit yeah. Broadway. Yeah. Well, what happened? You know, before the pandemic. The, the game plan was always, you take a show, you bring it to a regional theater, uh, like the Goodman in Chicago or out at La Jolla in, in California, and then you bring it into New York. With what's been happening because of the pandemic, uh, people, now, well, well, let me step back a second. Before the pandemic, two thirds of the theater going public are out of towners. When I say out of towners, I'm talking from everywhere, we're talking about overseas people, uh, international and national, two thirds of the audience are, uh, are from out of town. They have not really come back yet. And, mm. and the, because of that, yeah, you know, the, 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 the tri-state area, we go to see shows, I go to see a show and yeah, it, it's busy, but then it drops off and people are not rushing back yet for whatever reason, there are a couple of reasons, uh, but the, 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 one of the big ones is because of the COVID, they're not rushing back yet. So uh, it's, it's hard right now to, to do a Broadway show. I don't envy the, the producers that are putting shows on right now. I don't, don't want to jinx them or anything, but this is not a time that I want to be there. So what I'm, I'd like to do is we will do our regional, our regional show, but rather than focus on Broadway, from there, we go on tour. 
and will take it around the country, which ironically enough, many, many years ago, that was the original model where you had a show and you took it to, <coughs> pardon me, to about five or mm -hmm. 10 different major cities before you brought it to Broadway. And the re only reason they stopped doing that was because it got prohibitive in cost. Uh, as, as the cost went up, it got ridiculous. And so they just did, okay, one regional and Broadway. Uh, and uh, I think that, that that model of going back and now taking things on the road first, you may see more of it. Not a lot, but more of it. But that's what I'd like to do. And then ultimately, of course, I do want to go to Broadway because I want to get a Tony. So uh, I, I want to say come from away followed that same path. Yeah, uh, they didn't go directly to New York after opening. Uh, they did a few other cities that Seattle may have been one of them. Hades Town was also like that. Hades, Hades Town, Town was, as well. Yeah, Hades Town. They were in Canada. They were in they were in uh, uh, I could never pronounce the name on the There's a place up in Maine. Uh, oh, yes. Uh, uh, Patrick, because I had, I had been in touch with Patrick Page, who's a friend, and asked him originally, we were, we were going to do a, because the music was so good, we were going to do a, a, a concert at 54 Below, the music, which we mm. did do. And I wanted Patrick in the show. And he said, we just, we just started a show. It's great. We're up in Maine. It's amazing. He was talking about Hadestown. He was telling me about it. Uh, so that's what happened there. That was that was back in 2017. That's how far back that was. So that's how long you've been nurturing this? Yeah, I came on board. Uh, John has been working with the show for at least uh, uh, six years longer than I've been on it. Uh, I came in, uh, uh, Michael Colby, who was our lyricist, I knew. Uh, he had written a book. His grandparents had owned the Algonquin Hotel in Manhattan, very famous hotel mm -hmm. where all the people, both from theater and, and radio and, and well, not television then, but at the, but the movies, they all came there to stay. And he wrote a book. It's an amazing book called The Algonquin Kid uh, with pictures that you've never seen anywhere else. Anyway, he was doing a promotion of it at the National Arts Club, of which I'm a member. I, I came in just to support him. I had already, I had already purchased the book, and while I was there, he introduced me to John, John Intricasso, and John said, "Yeah, I got a new script." I'm, yeah, 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 sure. You and everybody else has a script. <laughs> you, know, you, hear, you hear this all the time. I read it, and then I listened to the music. He had he had a recording of some some of the music, and I said, "That's it. Let's talk." And uh, I came in. That was the end of I guess it was 2016. Wow. Uh, well, it seems so long ago. There's two and a half years that did, don't exist. Right. It, you know that it just it was cut out of our lives. Yeah. But uh, that's but what does, happened. It uh, does. It does give a good example of how long the these things incubate and how you know it's you know you, you a show makes a makes a is a hit on Broadway and suddenly is the talk of the town and everybody thinks oh this just happened overnight when it's years and years ironically ironically enough uh for years i was i was involved for a little bit in in the film uh, and people don't know that the average movie when it comes to the theater 
Well, now it's a little different with streaming and everything. But when it came to the theater, what you were seeing had first been uh, pitched to a to a uh, to a studio a minimum of seven years prior. It was at least seven to ten years. And I, as I say, ironically, it turns out now in this day and age, it takes about the same amount of time for a show to go to Broadway. Uh, Jagged Little Pill, which is an amazing show. Uh, it's a shame that they had they, they closed it. It's on it's on tour now with Diane Paulus. That was almost six. That was six years in the making. Wow. And so that was that was up at up, up in Cambridge. And then they came down here and it was an amazing show. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, the shows take they it's crazy. And what's what's more, what's more, what's more amazing to me is that when you look at the budgets, I remember the first budget I ever did for a show. What I couldn't believe was how anything ever got to Broadway. The costs have just they, they're, they're crazy. They're 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 astronomical. And we're talking about before ticket one is being sold. Right. So it it gets it's like how does anything ever get to Broadway? Well, and that's a that's a good point because and that's what your role is with with Dangerous as the lead yeah. producer is to make this thing happen, right? Yeah. Is to bring it alive. And so could you just tell us what that means to the everyday guy? What does it mean? What do you actually do? How do you get people involved? Well, uh, uh the first thing of course would be uh, to, to the average producer, they, they find they find a, a script, they find a, a property, and they say, I like this, let's do this. Uh, they'll then get a director, uh, some of the creative, the, the main creative people, I'm, I'm responsible for bringing them in. Took a year to get a director for the show, by the way, because- And, and they, you want somebody that you want, right? Well, it's somebody that, that has a good, a good feel for the show. <laughs> Because not everybody, first of all, there were a couple of people, we, we had interviews, as I say, I spent a year, John and Michael and I would, would, have, uh, would have meetings with all these different people because they're the ones who are going to be working with them. And the last thing I need, no pun intended, is drama. <laughs> you know, Because you hear, I can't stand working with this person. They don't know what the hell they're talking about. And that does happen. I've seen it happen firsthand. So you want to make sure that the person who's going to be coming on board has a good sense of what the story is about. You don't want a yes man or woman, as the case may be. But at the same time, you know, you, you, know, you want someone who, will, who has the vision that the author has, but also can bring something to it. And Dennis Jones, who is our director and choreographer, was the person that came on board ultimately and has a good feel for it. So I knew, yeah, we, we'd be in good hands. I could sleep at night. Um, and your next step? What's my next, next step? You have a director. Mm -hmm. The next step is, uh, well, the, 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 the first thing I did after that was I actually had a reading, a table reading. Table reading is basically exactly what it sounds like. You've got a bunch of actors around a table, and they have the scripts in hand, and they read, and they read the script. Because what, what is written, the written word and the spoken word, are two very diverse things. They're not even close to mm -hmm. each other. I learned that the hard way. I was doing something, uh, which I'm now, I'm coming back to again. It's a, a piece on, it was called Lysistrata the Musical, written by Hans mm -hmm. Holzer. And he had written 140 books on paranormal activity. So he was a well-known author. And he wrote these, the script. It was, it was funny. I laughed. 
And now we did a reading of it. I thought I was going to die. It was like uh, um, Eugene O'Neill on steroids. This thing was just, it went on and on <laughs> and you don't realize it. And then you start hearing, oh my God, this has right. to be cut. It was, it was awful. And <laughs> I learned that was, that was a lesson for me. But that's what, that's why it's important <laughs> to hear it and mm -hmm. hear what it sounds like. And then you can kind of pick it apart and say, okay, this is what happens. So by the way, that, that show, not to veer off and dangerous is now called Trojans Not Required, T-R-O-J-N-Z, Trojans Not Required subtitled the real story of Lysistrata. So there's, there's a couple of little double entendres there. I love that. So uh, we're, I, I'm now talking to somebody to, uh, to rewrite it. Uh, Hans passed away a while ago uh, and she's amazing. And I, I, I wanted a female writer for this. Matter of fact, that's something today, everything is big about having women involved in theater and whatnot. I was trying to do that in 2001. I had a, a female director, female writer. I wanted, I wanted that because as for this for this type of show, Lysistrata, it needed a female mm. uh, point of view, which it never mm -hmm. had. So, and uh, I think we're going to be able to do that. Uh, Kate Riggs is her name. Uh, she's a comedian, and uh, after searching high and low and talking to very different people. Uh, she came to me. I, don't, I forget how we even met. I think it was on Facebook or something. It was on a, on a fluke. I contacted her. And you know how sometimes you just talk to somebody and you say, this is it. There are she no accidents. Mm -hmm. She gets it. She gets it. And uh, we, we met. She's been involved. She's involved in other shows. But I'm looking very much forward. She's going to write me. Uh, we, haven't, we haven't even signed any contracts yet. But uh, she's going to do a couple of uh, scenes for me on spec just to see what, what happens. But I have a feeling this is a uh, what they say in Yiddish is a shirach. Yeah. It's, it's meant to be. It's meant I to be. I hope so. That would be great. Yeah. Uh, well, well, the show itself, I, I put it on the back burner. I've been working on it for seven years, uh, even a little bit more, longer than that, when Dangerous came along. And I put it on the back burner because I felt Dangerous was so, so there. and. Um, the thing that always bothered me was uh, uh, the, the Trojans has three, they're three themes. Uh, the first one, which is what Aristophanes wrote about, was anti-war. The second was feminism. You know, uh, for those of you who are not familiar mm -hmm. with Lysistrata, the women get together and they say, no more sex until you stop fighting. Mm -hmm. And the third, which is my personal favorite, political corruption. Those three, those three topics, what's not to, not, not to like and relate to for an audience? Right. Perfect. They, they still exist. Uh, and that's, that's, that's one of the things, by the way, a, a producer needs to do, and they don't always do it, when they look at a script initially, is will, will it relate to the audience or can the audience relate to it? And a lot of times you don't have that. And if you don't have that, it's, it's an uphill battle. There has to be something that the audience can can uh, you know hang on to. In the mm -hmm. case of Dangerous, it's the it's the audience participation in in the way of who do you think did it? Everybody's talked to everybody else. Who is it? I don't think it's that one. And then of course at the end we always get the same results. I thought it was him, but I didn't see that coming. And by the way, I'm not giving it away because it wasn't a him, it wasn't a her. I just using that as a general generic term. I thought it was that person, but I didn't see that coming. 
Mm. And uh, that's that's that was the beauty of what what John did. As a matter of fact, <laughs> I can say this: he actually has already written a sequel to Dangerous. And really? yeah, it, wow. it, it's amazing. Yeah. So, but I mean, we got to get this one up first. We were we were supposed to do a workshop of it uh, two weeks ago, but unfortunately, with the with the financial climate uh, and and COVID and everything else. Uh, the decision was made to postpone it until the spring. Uh, but uh, that's where, by the way, that's the next step usually is a reading. Uh, the reading is basically you have actors in front of a in front of uh, music stands with the, with the scripts and they and they go through the they go through the the whole uh, the whole the whole uh, show. Uh, and what you'll have is a stage manager who will read, the stage directions so people in the audience know what's going on because the the people the the, the 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 actors are just static they're standing in front of them. the the problem with dangerous it's very action oriented so when we did the reading it was like what's going on you couldn't mm. tell because mm. there's so much there was so much going on it's a very mm. visual it's a very visual show and the reading so, was for producers or for uh, for uh, it's, it's industry, money. yeah, exactly. And uh, so the next step is what they call a workshop. In a workshop, you're allowed because you're not allowed to do any in a, in a reading. You're not allowed to have any makeup. You're not allowed to have any props. You're not allowed to have any choreography. It's they stand there and that's mm -hmm. it. In a workshop, you're allowed to. Uh, you can you can have uh, choreography. Uh, we're doing something that very few workshops do, by virtue again of the fact that people have to see there are going to be a couple of characters who you don't know who they are. We're also having makeup and costumes, which is unusual, but we're doing it. Uh, and, and why? Uh, why did you make that decision? Well, I I because I, I it's give, money give the story. again. It's money. Well, it's it, yeah, it, oh, it, it, so, it's so definitely why? an expense, but because it will give the audience a very, very good idea. They'll say, oh, they'll realize because there's a person. I will just say that there's a person who plays two parts. And I don't want to say any more than that. Okay. There is there is some. And, and you don't know that, by the way. You don't know that they're playing two parts. This is a big surprise. It's a big reveal. So mm, that's okay. that's that's part of it. I may have said too much already. No, no, no. Believe me. <laughs> but but uh, th that's why uh, yeah. I wanted to make sure that the audience really got it. That, again, and that goes back to uh, what I say producers need to do. Think about the audience. And I'm thinking about the audience, not just as investors, but as people. They see what, oh, I get it. Oh, this, oh, okay, this is what's happening. Matter of fact, uh, again, the, the workshop has a minimalist set. What we were going to do, and was still planning to do, is have uh, uh, the video screens, the uh, you know uh, the LED screens mm -hmm. on the back on the back uh, the back of the set, and on it there will be all the photos and and uh, backdrops. Uh, the show starts in uh, in Schubert Alley, in New York City. And then we wind up in Cairo, and then we ultimately come back to, to Schubert Alley at the end. Mm. But the idea is all these things with with a with the video with the video screens, 
uh, back there, people will know exactly where they are, what's going on. So that's why that extra that extra expense was is worth it. It's, it's funny. I'm I'm so glad that you mentioned the screens because instantly when you started talking about dangerous, I started to wonder about the set and yeah. what that might entail. And and I was going to ask you if it would have a modern take. And uh, it sounds to me like it might, at least in the use of technology. Yeah, and technology it will. But it's set, as I say, it's set in the late 30s, 1938, 39, just before before Germany uh, invades Poland. There's a there's a uh, there's a whole take on there on well, the uh, there's a the Jewish gangster from Brooklyn. His name is Jake Kinberg, and he is asked by his boss to go and extricate a Jewish scientist from Germany. And he's gonna go there. And along the way, there's a killing in Schubert Alley. They think he did it. And he and his girlfriend, Rose McSweeney, an Irish Colleen from Hell's Kitchen, who, who runs the, the, uh, the uh, nightclub, that uh, Rose's nightclub. They both go off to Cairo. She she opens a new nightclub in Cairo, and he is off and running, going places to to save the Jewish scientist. And then that, so that's all part of it there too. And and the the conflict there is she doesn't know what he's doing. He's never around. Where is he? What's going on? And of course, we throw in again film noir. There's the femme fatale, and we have the femme fatale in there when he comes back. He comes to Cairo. Wow, he did a nice job with this with this with this club. And there's the femme fatale, name is Jazz, and she tries to put the make on him. So there's that in there too. We have, you know, hey, everything. You can't, you can't, you can't, well, you can't there. for everyone. Well, listen, film noir would not be film noir without right. the femme fatale and the, right. and the triangle, the love right. triangle. And that's it. And uh, I've had people who have read the script and the first words out of their mouth this is a movie. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, so, so we're working on it, we're working on both. That's so so, I, so awesome. Yeah. Can we can we can we ask you? Can we get a little gossipy and ask you something that's been, I think, on both of our minds, Alex and I? Um, Funny girl, you're involved. You're a producer. I'm an investor on that. I'm not a producer on you're that. An I'm an investor. investor. Yes. So give us the skinny. You know, you have to know. You're an investor. They tell you everything. Uh, not really. So they we they were... tell you more than they tell us. Well, yeah. So, what would you like to know? Well, let's start easy. Is is Leah Michelle really taking the show off now? I mean, is the show really yes. taking off now that she's in it? Yes. And uh, to be fair, I have not seen it yet with her. I I want to. I I need to get tickets, and I want to go and and see her. And also, uh, uh, Julie Benko, who was the understudy right. all along, who has been she has gotten raves. Yes. She's there on Thursdays, and I forget what other day. Maybe a Saturday after or something i believe she does two shows i want to see i have not seen that i was only there for the opening night with with uh, beanie and uh i am dying to see that so i can speak a little more intelligently had i known you were going to ask me this i would have gotten a ticket last week Dang. so i could i could <laughs> i could speak yeah. a bit more about it but no in terms of numbers uh leah has uh, she has done an amazing job and uh and toba felt who is an incredible mm -hmm. actress uh, in her own right. 
she is also, uh, you know, she definitely, you know, I could see her playing the mother. Oh, and, uh, for sure. So yeah. it, 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 the, they, 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 they got a, a, I think they may have made a misstep initially and yeah. now it's, it's taken off. It's taken I'm so off. glad to hear that. It's a, yeah. it's Me a too. tough show to do. I mean, obviously it hasn't been done since the original, but it's tough well, to do. You really need a Well, star. that's Barbara. That's because yeah. of Barbara. That's right. No one, no one wanted to step into her shoes. Right. No. No. Right. But you need somebody with the humor and the gravitas to, mm -hmm. to pull it off. And uh, and Beanie I mean, didn't really fit the bill musically. She didn't feel right. You know, she gave it a different it's a different spin to it. Uh, I don't know. I mean, she played it a little more broadly than I would have liked. But that was her style. Um, I, th I think she happens to be an extremely talented actress. When they first announced that she was doing it, I said, "Wow, that's going to be great." I thought it was a I thought it was a brilliant idea. And uh, you know, we, we watched we watched some of the 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 uh, the uh, uh, rehearsals, uh, and there 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 was uh, a question about can she can she do the the the, the vocals. It was it was it was a little bit hard for her, uh, but uh, she pulled it off. It just wasn't something that people were buying. Right. That's, you know, it, it happens. It happens. It does happen. And I want to ask you this from a performer standpoint. Mm -hmm. How much responsibility in that do you put on the director? <laughs> if any. Well, uh, it can go from zero to 100 seriously <laughs> in I've seen directing shows... class i was told if a show was great it's an actor it's all the actor if a show is bad it's on the director that sounds That's like donald trump if i if i win it sure I does take the credit and if i if i lose i had nothing to do with exactly. it exactly <laughs> i think uh, the i just got to step in and say the director is as um effective or as helpless as the situation allows him to be I have seen, I'll put it to you this way. I've seen shows where it was just horrendous across the board. It was a director. If it's one actor, then it might be the actor. But when it's the whole show, then you got to say, let's director. look at the director. I was involved with the show. I don't want to mention any names because I don't want a lawsuit. <laughs> but um, I was involved with the show. The idea was funny. The premise was good. We had a great cast. The director, the technical term is stunk. <laughs> she did not know. She didn't know what she was doing. I'll give you that much. It was a female. And I, will, I won't say any more about it, but she was terrible. And unfortunately, we, didn't, we, we couldn't get rid of her at the time. There was a, they had some sort of contractual thing with, with the author. And uh, uh... We, we did it. And it, it, it ran for four weeks. Uh, it was in a, in a, in a nonprofit and it, uh, it was, it was bad. And it was, it was a shame because it could have done very well. So. It, it sounds to me like she might've been served up to you. Mm -hmm. Like you didn't have a choice. Well, well, yes. In that case, that was, that was, that was the case. Yes. Cause I, I questioned it almost immediately when I was watching the rehearsals and I questioned the, the ability, the directing ability. Uh, I'm not a director, but yet 
somehow I, you know, there's that, I have that innate ability. I can see certain things. I think certain things. I'm not a casting director, but I'll see people. I think that person would be really good in this, in this part. Uh, we did that with Nikenji. Nikenji, who is a single name. Uh, she was a, uh, she, she was in uh, Motown, the musical played Mary, mm -hmm. Mary Wells. Uh, she's Juilliard trained, amazing, amazing character, uh, amazing actress and a voice to kill, to kill for. Uh, she goes out on the road and sings with, uh, different, uh, uh, symphonies, that kind of thing. And, uh, initially John did not want her. She happens to be a woman of, I don't even know what they say anymore. Black of color. Well, if color is now something else, it means something different. She was black. And at the time, he was saying there were no, the story did not call for a black. And by the way, this is back in 2016, before inclusion and diversity became watchwords on Broadway. Uh, and I said, I think she'd be perfect. And I brought her in when we, we did the, we did a reading. Again, I, I, had, I had read the script, but I wanted to hear it. And we had a table read. I brought her in for it. And she read the part that I wanted her to read. And uh, afterwards, everyone left. She got up at the piano and she did two songs. Then she left. I turned to John. He says, I'm rewriting the show. That's how she came on board. Wow. And she's amazing. She's amazing in this show. Mm. She, she's working on a show of her own right now also uh, called uh, Dorothy Dandridge, oh. which, I, which I think is, it, I told her, it, 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 the, the script was terrible, but the, but the, the concept and the, the content is excellent, and I think it will do well once everything comes together. So she's working on that. I'm trying to help her with that. But uh, anyway, getting back to the original question, I haven't forgotten. What does the producer do? So uh, most people think we just sit, we sit at our desk and we count the money. Furthest thing from the truth. We are the last ones, by the way, a little factoid. The producer is the last one to see any money. Mm-hmm. The investors get their money back first, and then when it when the show recoups, then we start sharing some things. But until that happens, I get nothing. Right, and uh, that could be a while before that yeah. actually happens, or never. Could exactly. be never. Exactly, and that's happened. I've had shows. I, I've been very fortunate. The first few shows I was involved in, right out of the gate, we had winners. I made money, mm -hmm. uh, and then there are others that I thought were going to make money, and they didn't uh and uh for for different reasons so uh, how do you um how how do you uh get through that i mean is it just your absolute passion and love for theater that goes i'm going to do it regardless yeah well that's something i always wondered about people you lose money why are you going back into another show there is a definite love mm -hmm. uh it also something that that is interesting if you invest in, say, mutual funds or the stock market or real estate, okay, you invest in it. Big deal. Going into theater, investing in a show, the word that comes to mind immediately is fun. It's enjoyable. And even when you lose money, you still are enjoying it. I've watched these. I've watched investors. We go to the parties, the the, the after the, the the parties after the Tonys. We lose, and yet people are. Oh yeah, we're coming back for something else. Mm -hmm. There is a there is a, yes, there is a love. There's a ride. 
It's a ride. Yes, it's absolutely. A ride, right? It is. It's not like you just throw it at something and, and forget it's about different. it. It's different from any right. other kind of investment. This is an investment. Yes, people, there are people who, who, are, who come on board because they, they, they believe in the arts. They like supporting the arts. And then there are people, it's an ego thing. Oh, I'd like to, I need all the actors. I need, I, I go to the parties, that kind of thing. But mm -hmm. uh, invariably, it's, it's a lot of fun because, oh, you go to these, as I say, watching a show uh, from rehearsal to when the sets are being built to when you fir the first run through, uh, I get chills just thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. opening night. Wow. It's amazing. That, that's, yeah. that's, that's a, that is a thrill that cannot be beat. And then hopefully it goes out on the road and you make even more money. Yes, that's one of the dirty little secrets of Broadway, of theater, that you can make more money on, on the road mm -hmm. than on Broadway. And matter of fact, shows that lost money on Broadway made money uh, on the road. And the reason for that is the cost is much less. Uh, matter of fact, going back to that, that paradigm that I want to use now, where we go from, say, regional theater and then take it on the road first, it actually works in the investor's favor because uh, a tour costs a fraction of what it costs to go to Broadway, a fraction of it. Uh, I, I, without naming the show itself, I will give you, there was one show that cost $17.5 million at a $17.5 million budget with $850,000 a week nut. It did not make their money back. They, they uh, lost uh, I think they got back about forty percent of their of their ink of their their investment. That was it. They went on the road, and the same show cost four million with a three hundred thousand dollar a week budget. You made your money back. Mm -hmm. So that's why I say, if I take the show, and uh, the investors that come in, we go to we we do our we do our regional where we tweak it. We we have it where we'll be we'll, we'll run it a while, and we can see what works and what doesn't work, and we tweak the show, and then. We take it on the road. And the fact of the matter is the investors will see their money back a lot quicker. And then ultimately we will go to Broadway. That's you what, know, that, that's the idea of that. I, I know we're running out of time and I feel like anxious, but I have, I, I have well, then many, let's do another so show. Many, no, let's do another show. We should Please. do another part show. Two. I, yeah, I want to ask two, another right. question though, though, right now, because, you know, we're in a situation where a friend of ours, a friend of yours mm -hmm. uh, is, uh, is, uh, working to bring a show to another country. This is a show that's already been established, a show that has rights, not a new show. Correct. So it's a very different paradigm for her now because the owners of the rights of that material want to make sure that whomever they sell the rights to will do it justice, will not, you know, throw it down the drain, but will do it justice. So there's that additional element now where. Even as a producer, somebody who has the funds and the will to bring something to Broadway might have to really negotiate that with the owners of the rights. Absolutely. There are two things I tell people. I, I have mentored people to be producers. And I always tell them the two most important people in your life as a producer is your general manager and a lawyer. Not any lawyer, not any lawyer, a theatrical lawyer. Mm -hmm. My people mistake. They think, well, he's an entertainment lawyer. A theatrical lawyer can be an entertainment lawyer, but an entertainment lawyer is not necessarily a theatrical lawyer. 
There is a big difference. There is, it's a niche industry in New York. There's only about six people that I can think of off the top of my head that are actual theatrical lawyers because there's all these other things that go into it. And yes, when the, when the initial uh, operating agreement is written up, they have in there, oh my God, you take a look, they have all the, not just, not just Broadway, it's, it's the tours overseas, Europe, they, they list everything. They put it all in there. It's all there to cover you. And by the way, an aside, I won't get into it. The show that I was just mentioning to you in terms of what it cost, that's the same show that you're just talking about. Oh. That's the show. That was the show. Oh. There you go. <laughs> I saw it on the road, so I can vouch for that. But that's what, yeah, right. that's it. But that was, that was the show that, that, that cost so much. And uh, I walked away from it. One of the things I tell people is that uh, for years, a, the average, for anyone who's interested, the average musical, uh, Broadway musical cost anywhere be between eight and $15 million. And in the last, again, going back, this is pre-pandemic, mm -hmm. all of a sudden the numbers were going above 15 million. Once you go over 15 million, you're in trouble because you're working on a model that's over 150 years old. And until someone figures out how to add another day or two to the week, that's the model you're working on because you only have eight shows a week. It's a finite amount. And so what happens was when that budget gets blown out of proportion, the only way that you can make money is now you're charging ridiculous amounts of money for a ticket. And when that happens, the people who are coming again, going back to the out of towners who used to come in and see four and five shows. Mm -hmm. Now they see one, maybe mm -hmm. two, right? They're not because spending the, the money. They can't afford it. Right. It's gotten, but, it's gotten crazy. But you, you just, you just, so you just, you just made me think about something. So let's look at a, a Hamilton real quickly. Okay. Where they could have sold tickets that because they had to turn people away, right? They just didn't mm -hmm. have enough shows. What about double casting a show and uh, lining up another uh, set of performances uh, so that uh, you're not dealing with you mean, equity I mean, tools? I mean, you mean have, when you say double, you mean yeah, have, one, have a separate? One cast, exactly. One cast plays seven shows a week. The other cast plays seven. And there's a, you know. Well, where are you going to do it? You have to get another theater then. In other words, you're going to have two separate theaters. Or you're going to do show. daily matinees, which may not work, but may. It's an interesting theory. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, we're I, so I caught know. in the paradigm of it's eight shows a week. Yeah. You know, when we did, we did Hedwig. Matinee. When we did Hedwig, I was with Neil Patrick Harris. First of all, Neil did not have a, uh, an understudy. So first off, Right. There was there was a a, uh, a an insurance policy that was close to one hundred thousand dollars. Right. Because if he if he hurt himself, if he was out sick, we're finished. It was kind of like like uh, like Hugh Jackman when he did the uh, boy from Oz. Hmm. Um, that was it. He was it. But uh, what was I going to say? We only did we did seven shows a week, not eight. We could have made a lot more money with that eighth show. But right. because we only had, we right. had to watch out for Neil. So we did seven shows a week. Right. And, and after he left, and that was, a, that was a show also that was only supposed to run for 18 weeks. And when Neil was gone, the show was over. It was so successful. And of course, we won Tony's for it. And, uh, and Lena won a Tony. Uh, 
they brought in they brought in Andrew Reynolds, who up until that point I never heard of, but right. everyone else knew. And then they it was amazing, and uh, it ran for seventy two weeks. That was uh, <laughs> I wish I had more money in that show, uh, but uh, and then we did and then we did the tour, which was which was fun in right. itself. Right. Because there, Alina Hall, who had played Yitzchak and won the Tony for that, she came back on the proviso, talk about a little backstory, that she could play Hedwig one show a week. So what would happen is I, I, we went, we opened up, uh, the, the tour opened in, in San Francisco, and I stayed to see both shows where she was both Yitzchak and Hedwig. And when she played Hedwig, the understudy, who was played brilliantly by uh, Shannon Connolly, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a scene in there where Yitzchak is, is, is caressing one of Hedwig's wigs. And Hedwig, give me that, you know, put that down. Well, when it happened, Lena, as, as Hedwig, put that down. And she made a comment to the effect that Tony's already been won for that part. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> they already run the Tony for that part. Forget it. <laughs> it's been given out. <laughs> I, I heard that. I was on the floor when I heard that. That was, and it was ad lib. <gasps> The Palatified Five. So, Neil, no. yeah, I gotta, I gotta ask you, um, sure. what, what is your golden rule? My golden rule? Yeah. What is your golden rule? What do wow. you live by? Well, I firmly believe in the universe that nothing happens by coincidence, <laughs> uh, hmm? and if something that you want to happen doesn't happen, it wasn't meant to happen. And something better will happen. That happened. I use the word "happen" a lot here. That <laughs> happened with us. We was we had a right. we had a director, uh, a brilliant choreographer director, uh, uh, Warren Carlyle, was going to direct Dangerous. He loved the show. We shook on it. Everything is great. It was a Friday. On Monday, I call his agent, and she says, "Over the weekend, something a a a a, a project that that was that we thought was bogus turns out it was real." It was a three-project deal. He had to take it. And he even called me and, and, and apologized. And we lost him. Uh, John and Michael, they were very upset. Me, I said, okay, we'll get somebody else. And ultimately, we did. That, that's the example of that. I, I can be disappointed, but I don't get upset about it. I just say it wasn't meant to be. Something else would happen. I feel that way about the workshop. We worked very hard to get it to where it was. We had to, we had to, we had to postpone it once. We were supposed to do it originally at Bay Street in February, and the Omicron virus knocked us out because we have a cast of 20. What are the odds that one of those people, you know, that not all 20 are not going to be uh, testing positive? Someone's going to test positive, and and the people were not coming to the theater, so we had to postpone. And then. Uh, that matter of fact, we were going to be doing it at Bay Street again. And, and what happened there was people were not coming to the theater for their, their normal season. And they said, we don't know what we can do for, for October, so let's do it in New York. We wound up setting up in New York, had an extra week, extra money. It didn't work out. And I have to say, you know what? It may even be better when we do it. I'm looking, we're shooting now for late, late winter, early, early spring just prior to where the new shows are going to be coming out on Broadway. And I think we're going to do well with it. But that's, 
That's that's what you know. That's that's my golden rule in terms of that. I don't get upset. Things will happen for a reason, and I just I think go with the flow. Mm-hmm. Go with the flow. Yeah. So what is what what is one of the daily habits that you have that you strongly feel uh, contributes to your success? What do you do every day that contributes to your success? Well, I uh, lately I, I have to admit I, I've been a little remiss lately, but I usually uh, meditate in the morning. I will I will do a meditation. Uh, I actually found this this thing online. Um, I forget what it's called now, and. Uh, I just listened. They have all these different meditations. And I said, oh, today, let's see. Abundance. I'll go for abundance today. Mm-hmm. Or stress. Or real. They have all these different things. And anything from five minutes to an hour's worth. Of, and I just sit there and mellow out. And then I start my day. Is that Insight uh, Timer? Uh, no, it's, you know what? Yeah. I'll, tell you, I'll tell you very quickly what it is. Uh, let's see what it was here. Uh, was it... Um, Mind Valley. Mm. Oh, Mind I'm Valley. I'm I'm a member of Mind Valley. Yeah, I I love it. I mm-hmm. I found it by act again. No coincidences. I was on YouTube and this commercial came up. You know, sometimes they always pop up these commercials, these annoying things. You wait five seconds, skip that. You know, skip the right. ad. And right. this guy's talking, and I start listening, and it's like, huh. And I went on and I signed up, and I love it. And I didn't and I didn't know what to expect. And I find, oh my god. They've got all these different programs. I expected one thing. I think that, oh, it's wonderful. Thanks, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so I do that. My wife had, she, she, matter of fact, she was the one who kind of got me in the, the mindset of it wasn't meant to be. She used to run a, a, uh, a center, center of inner wisdom. It was a wellness center. She herself is a Reiki master. She has done all sorts of things, hypnosis. Uh, I also, by, by the way, I'm a, I'm a I'm a certified hypnotherapist myself. I don't use it, but I've done it. Uh, and uh, so, you know, all these the, the the spiritual aspect comes into play, and it does keep me in good stead. I would probably, I would have probably committed suicide three or four times by now if it hadn't. <laughs> so, you know, all these things that 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 go on. I mean, when. When I was before I was married, and I was we were, we were trying to do a movie, and I worked very hard and very hard, and very hard, and we came so close. We had money, and then Ronald Reagan came in and changed the tax laws, and he hurt the big studios and little guys like me. We were just wiped out, and I spent a year very depressed. And if it wasn't for the fact that I had my dogs, I have these rescue dogs that I always have. I probably I don't know what would have happened, but I it, it, it's a very disheartening thing when, you know, you work so hard on something for so long and then through no fault of your own, it's just the, the rug is just pulled from out from under you. And COVID. that's that's what happened. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. Um, Same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there I was trying to do to keep the show in the in the public's mind uh, in September of 2020. I went into, uh, we were going to do, because the music is really good. I was going to record all the music. We were going to present it in a Zoom, a Zoom uh, thing uh, as, as another uh, concert. We were going to do another musical mm-hmm. concert mm-hmm. and also cut, the, cut the, the, the songs separately. And once a, once a month, I'd pop another song onto YouTube. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and keeping them. What happened there was uh, equity and SAG-AFTRA, they couldn't get their act together. And, and this was this was back. It's a, it was terrible. Mm-hmm. And after about a month of going back and forth, and we want this, well, you got to do this. Yeah, I finally said, you know what? Forget it. Put a pin in it. And I didn't do it. Even though it was an excellent idea, and I wish we could have done it, but it just, again, but, couldn't you have done it be. without? Couldn't you have done it without equity actors? I mean, not not you know. I hate yeah. to even. I'm an equity actor. I shouldn't. <laughs> even, it's, I it's, couldn't even say that. But oh no, I actually, I actually saw. I, I'm a member of the organization ETC. Uh, Kate Camarada runs it, and they were doing during during the pandemic. She was holding. Uh, that's, that's, that's how this, the, the organization got started. She would do one show a week, one one uh, uh, workshop, uh, not workshop, a, a showcase a week. And there was one show that was excellent, all non-equity. I was blown away. They were all non-equity. That's unusual, though. And, you know, I, I've heard for years, I've been a member of a couple of different technical unions, and the, the, the argument is always, well, the people in the unions are better equipped or more experienced. To a certain degree, that's true. And the same goes for the acting. Actors who are members of equity are usually, and that's the key phrase, usually better than non-equity actors. That's not to say that, non, that all equity actors are great. I know a couple who should never grace the stage ever, ever again. And, and there's some non-equity people who are amazing. They just haven't gotten their card yet. Right. So well, some, and some choose not to, I mean, I have some friends that are beyond brilliant. It's, it's they hard chose though, not because to if, do it because yeah. they want to work all the time. Right. Yeah. But it, it's, it's very right. hard because sometimes where you want to work, you can't because dependent on the, on the theater, on, on the, on the venue you're in, if it's an equity, right. it's an equity stage. You know, you, you run right. it, it, it's there's but, a lot of different things that you run into, but right. that's that goes both ways. Mm-hmm. If you're an equity actor, you can't work on a non equity stage, and so a lot of equity actors that don't live in New York but live in other locations choose not to be. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, if you're reason. talking out, right. outside, say, outside of New York, yeah, yeah, right. see, I, I live, I live in, in, the, in the suburbs of, of New York where. That's, that's the center for broad, right. you know, for theater. Right. And matter but, of fact, I always said to people, I said, why do I need to hire somebody from California? I live in New York. There's, I can shake a stick and I've got talented people. Out exactly. Because we actually had that happen where there were a couple of people they, that my creatives wanted to bring in. I said, no, I don't need to pay. For, why do I need to pay for them? Yeah. One of them was well known. It was a big name. And uh, fortunately, she said no. But uh, at one time she said, yes, I wasn't going to pay for her because she had a baby. I've got to pay. I've got to pay first class for her and her baby. I got to pay for their 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 hotel, their food, their transportation. I get someone from New York. I don't pay for any of this. They're living on your dime, Neil. Well, and and it's vice versa here in, you know, in San Diego. Yeah. we pull in, we've got amazing talent pool here. We have amazing talent pool of equity actors. You've got a, you've got a great theater and we, there too. We have, a, we have two of the top regional theaters yeah. in the country. Absolutely. And, you know, but they pull in from New York and other places and LA. because, and LA, because it's their name. 
and they're paying a lot more money. That's a whole. That's a, that's yeah. a whole other yes. discussion. Is the name, you know, the, the name uh, thing. I will say without giving names right now. There is an actress. I keep. That's the only hint I give. It's a female. There's an actress who I've known who has always been on my on 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 the short list to play uh, one of the leads, and initially she wasn't available, and then people were saying. Oh, she may be too old, blah, blah, blah. I ran into her a few weeks ago at an event. We got to talking. Send me the script. I'm waiting to hear back from her agent now. There's a dirty word. And uh, uh, if she's on, she's going to do it. And and that's a name. I would love that. That will be something that will definitely help me in raising money because right now I'm at a, because we didn't do the workshop, the workshop is where people will come in, they see it and then they write checks. The hardest part of this job. And that's the one part I'd love. You want to ask me what I want to give up? I want to give up trying to raise money, right. especially front money. I hate it. I hate it's it. Hard. it. It's the hardest part because right. you're asking people to put money in mm -hmm. to something that at the, at the most they have a script, and they can listen to some music that I have. Mm -hmm. That's it. Right. There's nothing else. And matter of fact, what I've done is, uh, in my case, I'm offering, uh, I offer a, a, an incentive where normally it would cost X amount of dollars, say $150,000, $200,000 to get to what they call a producer level. Because uh, you have people, as I say, on many shows, I'm an investor. That means I just put in a small amount which usually is around 25,000. The units go usually in 25,000. Sometimes it's 50,000, but it, it's that kind of num number. Uh, as an investor, yeah, I get to go to opening night. I go to the party. That's it. If a pro your producer, where you see all those names in there, they have brought in a lot more money. Usually, depending on the show, anywhere from 150 dollars to $250,000 minimum. What I am doing to raise the front money so I can relaunch the website is I'm saying for the 25,000, I will give you the $200,000 value. The producer you, credit, the producer credit, your name will be in the program. You will get what they call entitlements. You know, and it goes all the way through. It's not just for the, the workshop all the way through to when we get to Broadway. That's my, when you win the Tony. Doesn't that person get to go on stage? Absolutely. Okay. I'm willing to, I'm willing to, to throw do that, that in the pot. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I'm I'm willing to do that. There are people, there are producers that say, I don't want to do that. I don't want to give, I don't want to give names. I, it doesn't cost anything extra to put another name in the in the playbill. You know, it, 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 come on. And you make give somebody happy. Yeah. That's right. And yeah. you make me happy because that's it. So yes. I you know, I, I have to look at it that way. But that's what I'm doing right now is the incentive to get people in for twenty-five thousand. You know, it sounds like a lot, but relatively speaking, it's a very small amount. And for that amount, you're going to be listed as a producer. It's actually the, the technical term is co-pro, co-producer. And uh, I'm happy to do that. So we can we can raise we can raise the the budget that we have we have a budget to do the to do the uh, workshop. And uh, we'll then I'll have a I'll have a new date and and we'll get the people in. And there's no doubt in my mind by virtue of what the show is. And I'm not saying it because. It's my show because I've seen a lot of different shows. I've been involved in different shows. This show, I think when people see it, they're going to be writing checks because the music is great. 
and again, the story is something that stands out. This is what I always loved. This is why I came to Dangerous. It stood out um, uh, among, uh, 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 out in front of everything else that's out there. It's not just another jukebox uh, uh, musical or a story about boy and girl. Or this. It's a mystery. We engage the audience. That's important. That's, that goes back to what I was saying before. You engage the audience. Mm -hmm. the most important thing to do. Uh, where Absolutely. can they go? Where do they go to reach you? They, well, we have a website. It's uh, www.dangerousmusical.com. Real easy. Dangerousmusical.com. Dangerousmusical.com. Uh, yep. Dangerousmusical.com. And uh, there is a there is a, a, a section in the, in the in the website, which, by the way, is a little bit outdated now because we've been planning to update it when we did the workshop. We were going <laughs> to videotape. We had all this stuff we were going to do. It's still a little bit outdated, but it's, it still says everything that has to be said. Uh, there is an area uh, where you can contact uh, this email for information. And I get those emails and be happy to contact people. Um, if people want to contact me directly, I have no problem with that. Uh, my, my email address is NSR, Nancy Sam Robert, NSR Productions at Verizon.net. And if they're interested, I will be happy to send them what they, that's the other thing, there's this little thing called a pitch deck. This is uh, in lieu of sending a script or all the, the, the paperwork, people don't like to get bogged down with it. A pitch deck is basically uh, anything from four to 15 pages of bullet points, really. It just, you know, very easy to digest. This is the show. This is who's in it. This is what's going on. This is what our plan is. And that's what we have. We have a pitch deck. And in that pitch deck, we actually have a link to all the music. So they can click on it and they hear the music. Great. So, that's that's something I would be happy to send them. That that they'd have to ask they have to ask me for it, but be very happy to do that. And uh, you know, that's so again, you know, NSR Productions at Verizon.net and www.dangerousmusical.com. Reach out to Neil. Neil, thank you so much. We could go on and on and on. We yes, could. we could. Thank you so much. Hey, hey, thank you for listening to Bolotified. You haven't already? Please like and subscribe. And remember to leave us your questions or comments at bolotta.com backslash podcast. Bolotified is a production of Bolotta Entertainment. Hey, that's a lot of Bolotta. Stay engaging. Neil, we will do this again. Yes. I'm so oh, sorry. I'm so little.